0: Thanks for joining us here on Radio Who, What, Why. I'm Jeff Sheckman. Even long before the current extreme stratification of America, we've heard a lot about two Americas. Daniel Patrick Moynihan, Michael Harrington, and even John Edwards all talked about two nations living side by side. One of relative middle class ease on the cutting edge of technology and education, and another mired in poverty, resistant to and fearing change. Today, the same can be said about Africa. For in spite of much popular imagery, part of Africa is at the cutting edge of technology and economic development. The rise of the African consumer economy is one of the biggest, most uncovered stories. By 2020, seven of the world's top ten fastest growing economies will be in sub-Saharan Africa. The continent already has more mobile subscribers than the U.S. or the EU. This division in Africa is what we're going to talk about today with my guest, Alex Perry. He was Time Magazine's bureau chief in Africa until 2013. He's a contributing editor to Newsweek. It is my pleasure to welcome Alex Perry here to talk about his new work, The Rift, New Africa Breaks Free. Alex, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: It's great to have you here. Why is this such an undercovered story?
1: Uh, We just don't seem to have uh, room in our perceptions for a very nuanced view of Africa, which, you know. it's, it's, you know, on the facts, it's, it's kind of nonsensical. It's, you know, Afri- sub-Saharan Africa is a billion people and 49 countries. Um, you know, it's, it's bound to be a place of enormous diversity. It's, it's the biggest continent in the world. You know, geographically, it takes 10 hours to fly across it. So it's a, the, the idea that it's a, a kind of a monolith of suffering and poverty is, is you know, as I say on the facts, uh, would be would be you know fairly facile, but but that is tends to be how we how we see Africa, and the reason is really as you say, I mean I mean you know journalists have been covering the story of Africa's rising economic clout for ten to fifteen years now, but there are about a hundred correspondents in Africa, whereas there are thousands, if not tens of thousands, of aid agency press officers who. You know, a, a well-intentioned people who are trying to help people in poverty, but the most effective and efficient way to do that is to present a continent that's in permanent crisis, uh, where, where people cannot help themselves, where foreigners need to come in and take over. And that has become, you know, the, that has shaped our ideas of Africa. Essentially, you know, if you look at any of the campaigns, and they'll just be starting up now in time for Christmas, you'll be flooded with images of a starving baby. It's literally the infantilizing of an entire continent.
0: It's interesting that where the reporting has been more accurate or more contemporary has been in the business press. I mean, whether it's things like Bloomberg right. or courts or what have you, you can find the coverage of the economic development of Africa, but in the general press, not so much.
1: Well, yeah, I, I, I think that's correct. And, and, you know, I mean... Uh, you find it as a correspondent, actually, even talking to your own editors. You, you know, you have a, you present uh, the type of stories you're talking about, say Nairobi's tech scene, or the advances in solar power, or the fact that from next year, Africa is is going to be building the most advanced radio telescope the world has ever seen. That is, whose mission will be to look for alien life and discover the secrets of the Big Bang. You know, th- these are. But they're, they're such sort of, um, they, they jar so much with our established perceptions that, that, you know, they, they tend to get sidelined. You know, uh, the, you know they, they get covered in much shorter back of the newspaper stories, whereas the old Africa paradigm stories, you know, conflict, poverty, famine, that's on the front page. Because that, you know, it, 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 you know, otherwise, it's almost too confusing for people. And, and as I say, there are so many other groups out there telling you that this is a continent in, in permanent crisis. that it, it also feels kind of like the safer option. Right. You know, the, the story of Africa's transformation, frankly, is, is a remarkable. It's amazing. And it's a much more interesting story. But the, the story of Africa's suffering is just the far louder one.
0: One of the other aspects of it, and you talk about this in, in the book, is that in addition to the, the impact of the large-scale humanitarian effort and all the, the voices that are speaking to that, that, when you look at the way the economic development of sub-Saharan Africa has happened, it is harder for Westerners in general to understand it. It's not a typical story. It doesn't fit into the same kind of boxes as economic development in the West.
1: Well, yeah, and, and you know, economic development, for one thing, is, is we tend to sort of imagine that it might be a sort of smooth path to progress. You know, actually, development historically is always, it's a very volatile and tumultuous process, and it, it quite often produces inequality that, if mishandled, will lead to resentment and even conflict. And so, you know, when those conflicts erupt, um, the tendency is to go, oh, that's the same old Africa, rather than to see this as part of a process of a, of a continental transformation. But, I mean, also, I mean, there is, we tend to view things as, as there being one path to development. And actually, if you, look yeah. at, if you look at the process of Africa's transformation now, African countries are very deliberately taking a different view that actually has, owes a lot more to the kind of path followed by the North Asian countries, or say Singapore or or China, than classic Western liberal democracy. So 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 we tend to see, you know, what what how Africa is changing. Some a lot of time quite negatively. We'll we we'll, we'll say, oh, there's still no political freedom. Well, you know, there has been no political not a lot of political freedom in Singapore or Korea or China, but in the view of African leaders. The, the very rapid acceleration that occurred there is a much more effective way to pursue development.
0: To what extent is it the lack of overt leadership that we don't see or we can't relate it to any individual leader transforming Africa that we only see when we do see leaders, it's, it's Mugabe or Jacob Zuma. It, there, there isn't a single figure that is transformative.
1: What? To, to be honest, I mean, those figures are there. I mean, same two of, of, of the worst, actually, Mugabe and Zuma. But uh, look at Paul Kagame in Rwanda. Now, that's a guy that's pulled the country from the worst situation imaginable, you know, the aftermath of a genocide in which close to a million people died, to, to a country that's posting, in some years, more than 10% economic growth. All the indices of poverty have more than halved. You know, Kigali, the capital of Rwanda, is is an extraordinary place, it's based. You know, I mean, the the entire city is wireless. And yet, Paul Kagame is described almost uniformly as another baby-eating dictator. Whereas, you know, the truth is, he's certainly not a Democrat, but the truth is way more nuanced than that, and has to take account of the extraordinary transformation that he's... um, that he's, that he's executed in this country,
0: how is this playing out in in the African continent itself, where you have, as you talk about, essentially two Africas existing side by side
1: so you, yeah well you're right that you know, inequality is a is a real problem i mean that, that actually tends to be the case you know all over the world in, in countries with sort of early stages of development you'll see massive inequality in China and india. In, the inequality is spectacular, literally, billionaires living next to people who are living in the street. But it, it can produce uh, real resentment, you know, if it's mishandled. And, and often that resentment will be channeled along existing dividing lines, so religious uh, divisions or, or ethnic divisions or tribal divisions. Um, and, and that can produce the kind of conflict that has that you know, trapped Africa in the past. Um, but to see these conflicts, as I say, as just the same old Africa is to misunderstand what's going on. You know, this, this is often a story whose context is development.
0: In some sense, I mean, I guess the, the, the broader question is, does it matter? at this point? Does it matter to the to the successful and continued development of Africa how the rest of the world or how the West sees it right now?
1: Well that's a very good point and probably the answer is less and less. Uh, At the moment it matters as a matter of the kind of the human right to be able to tell your own story and to define yourself to the world. At the moment Africa doesn't get to define itself to the world you know other people define it. And that's a source of an immense kind of frustration. And, uh, and, and you know, the mood in Africa these days is, is one of kind of furious assertion. But that you're, you're right that as Africa develops, as, as you know, that, as as foreigner's ability to define Africa to the world lessens, uh, you know, all this will come to matter less and less. The the, the the real sticking point here is, is is the aid industry, whose jobs, whose industry, after all, you know, rather depends on, on a on an, on depicting a continent you know still in crisis. So there is there is a real contradiction there. Um, but but Africans themselves, I agree with you. I think you know to, to them, there's a growing confidence in Africa that will you know probably overcome all our misperceptions.
0: Does the aid industry or has the aid industry in any way contributed to the positive economic development we've been talking about?
1: Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, look, there's, 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 there's some really bad examples of aid, but there's some really good ones too. And, you know, while aid can't directly... Uh, spur development. I mean, you know, development is about entrepreneurs. It's, it's an internal process about, you know, ambition and dreams and, and those sorts of dynamics. Not really something you can hand out, but you can set the context for that. And, and those are doing, you know, fairly obvious things, so, you know, building an infrastructure, building the environment in which entrepreneurs can thrive, making sure that people are able to turn up to work, say, because they're not sick. So we're talking, you know, health, education, that kind of stuff. So you, there are very useful things that aid can do. It doesn't always do them very efficiently. It doesn't always do them in a way that, that you know, I mean, there could be a lot less money spent on aid workers themselves, you know, who, who, whose pay packets in some cases, particularly in the UN system, are, you know, frankly out of control. But, yeah, aid is it, it's not all bad. And it, and it's not as though any rational person is is asking for the withdrawal of all aid, because in, in, in many African countries, there's so much part of the infrastructure that if you pulled out, you know, the place would collapse.
0: Talk a little bit about the influence and the impact of China on Africa, because China has paid a great deal of attention to it, both from an economic perspective and a natural resource perspective.
1: Yeah, so so it's a, it's a I mean it's another story actually of of misperception. Now Africa's got a lot of stuff, a lot of resources that everybody wants: timber, minerals, oil, gas. So so, and China's advance into Africa has been you know very rapid, from you know from almost nothing fifteen years ago to to a two way trade that's now over a hundred billion dollars a year. But this is portrayed in the West rather disingenuously as, as a kind of imperial takeover. You know, the Chinese are coming. I mean, A, that's factually wrong. The biggest investor in Africa is France, then the U.S., then the U.K., then Malaysia, then South Africa, then China. So it's not even the biggest Asian investor in Africa. But so the, the whole idea that anybody gets to take over Africa these days is is... is you know, it's just way outdated. You know, these are not colonial imperial times anymore. Africa's got stuff that people want, but these days you have to ask. You can't take.
0: To what extent is, uh, we talked about the, the business press a little while ago, to what extent is American business, American businessmen and women, are they understanding what's going on and understanding the nuance and subtlety that we're talking about?
1: To be honest, I would say that I understand it a lot better than either governments or, or the aid industry, who so tend to be the other sorts of expats you get in Africa. It's, you know, business understands looking at a country like, say, Nigeria, that has a population of 150, 160 million people and is growing, you know, some years by 7% a year. But that is a massive opportunity. Whereas, you know, if you talk to, 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 to aid workers or diplomats, they're overwhelmingly focused on assistance. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I'd say that business really does get it and you, and, and there is a, there's a growing, you know, I mean, the business conferences in Africa when I was first there in 2006, tended to be, you know, tended to be this really mournful affairs where people would present a series of statistics, you know, presenting how disappointing the continent was and, and, and that had to completely change, uh, you know, over the next five years when I was there until they became kind of. These rather giddy affairs of, of, of optimism, probably over-optimism, to be honest. But if anybody really understands and spots the opportunity, it's, it's the business community.
0: To what extent is geopolitics, particularly terrorism and the things that go along with it, to what extent is that having an impact in Africa right now?
1: It, 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 you know, it, it has it has a fair amount of impact in the Sahel region. You've got three areas where there are established jihadi groups. You've got Al-Shabaab in Somalia, Kenya, Tanzania. Uh, You have Boko Haram in Nigeria and you've got Al-Qaeda and Islamic Maghreb in in Mali and and, and Southern Algeria. Yes. And, and that throws off development in two ways, you know, one, obviously, you know, produce a situation of conflict in which, you know, development is very hard to happen, but it also tends to skew the Western approach. Uh, which becomes consumed by you know concerns about terrorism and other other concerns are, are are given far less attention.
0: What about other internal conflicts and internal wars that are going on, even civil wars inside Africa?
1: Yeah, there's a there's a number. Uh, there's a lot less than there used to be. Um, you know, war is down, democracy is up, basically. But yes, there are there are low level conflicts in. In Congo, um, everyone's very worried about Burundi at the moment. Uh, There have been a number of uh, coups and, you know, a series of sort of incidents of turmoil in West Africa, which tends to be less well-governed and also has a horrible cocaine smuggling problem. Basically, cocaine being transported from Latin America to Europe stops a lot of the time in West Africa, and that's brought a whole load of bad influence and, and hot money. But you know, I mean, one of the, I guess one of the one of the really overlooked, um, what I would call a, a, a situation of conflict is South Africa, where violent crime is rising yet again. And when we're talking about a place where there's 50 murders a day in a country of 50 million people. Well, that's more people than dying Congo or or a place like Somalia. You know, that level of death is is a medium level war, frankly, and it. And it is an expression of social unrest, social frustration, you know, and and social immobility. Five or six million people whose lives haven't changed since apartheid, and they're angry.
0: Talk a little bit about the diplomatic community. You you touched on them briefly earlier because they they sort of straddle both worlds in terms of, of the business side on the one hand and the aid side on the other.
1: Yeah, and and to be honest, there. I mean, they. they you know, it, there are some great diplomats in Africa, and there are some not so good ones. But if there has been a um, a a general characteristic, it's you know, Africa has attracted those kinds of diplomats who are specialised in aid, and that is increasingly out of date. You know. Um, Kenya, for instance, has this incredible tech scene, but I don't I haven't met a single diplomat in Kenya which is one of the diplomatic centres of Africa who knows much about IT. You know, that that's, that's a flaw. You know, if this is one of the industries of the future then then then, you know, how is Western business how you know, how are the diplomats gonna facilitate Western business? So, you know, there, there needs to be you know, in some sense, you know, the diplomat core I find is is a little behind the times. Um, but, I, you know, to be honest, I mean, the diplomats are there, as you say, to, to, to reflect reality on the ground, and, and you would expect that to change.
0: What are the biggest obstacles that Africa faces at this point in terms of continuing with the current level of development and continuing to make progress at the rapid pace that it's been making?
1: Well, it's, I mean, it's, you know, the, the big thing is infrastructure. You know, what Africa has always missed, partly because it's so big, is is infrastructure is is roads, is ports, is is electricity, uh, water, sewage, you know, all the rest of it. But so so that is is the big challenge. But simultaneously, that's a lot of the cause of the great excitement in Africa because uh, what you see there is is infrastructural innovation that is that is really ahead of the world. You know, the reasons that mobile phones are so massive in Africa is because before them there were no landlines. You know, this isn't about convenience in Africa. This is actually allowing people to communicate who've never communicated before. And if you've got suddenly that innovation, you don't just use it to phone home. You channel education down mobiles. You channel health information. You channel business information. What's the market for sheep or cattle or grain or whatever? All that is available in, in Africa. And in a similar way, Solar power is, 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 a, is a leapfrog technology that is, that is allowing people who are off-grid, essentially, who don't have any power, suddenly to have power. And not just to light their home, but perhaps to power a business. Um, the latest infrastructural innovation that I've come across is, is kind of amazing. There, there, there are plans designed by a former economist correspondent in Nairobi, Norman Foster, the British architect, to build a drone network. A, a cargo delivery drone network across Africa, very very low cost, um, to to essentially you know connect all the major business hubs.
0: One of the the other areas that you're seeing is this leapfrog technology, and it also relates to mobile, is in the whole banking and finance sector.
1: Right, right, and that's that's a perfect example where you have, you know, Africa not just following the the world but innovating. You know, we've where I live in London. We've only just got mobile banking in the last year. I think it's only you know, been in New York for the last year or two. They've had it in Nairobi since 2007. You know, they, they made that. So, so you know, it, it's, it's not just copycat stuff. It's, it is genuine innovation that sets the paradigm for the rest of the world.
0: Where is right now the, the strongest innovation taking place? If you had to pick one or two countries in Africa that really are, are, are making the most progress, what would they be?
1: So, I mean, Kenya has a lot of problems, but, but as I say, that Nairobi tech scene is well, it's pretty famous in Africa now, and it, and it draws people from across the continent. It's, it's, it's really something else. I mean, the, the, you know, now in, in, in Nairobi, last time I was there, they're all working on uh, a kind of cashless future you know already electronic money is bigger than cash in kenya it's twice as big but they're actually working on a situation where you know cash is cash is kind of out of style um other places rwanda is is amazing you know the the, the change there is is incredible and rwanda has gone from being uh, a country that didn't even feature on anybody's League tables of you know ease of doing business to a place that's now ninth in the world, um, and South Africa, you know, despite all its problems, has e- extraordinary sectors that are that are that are you know really astounding and really world class. Uh, often in media, actually, um, uh, particularly the film industry, there's an extraordinary amount of film that are now made in South Africa, pretend, and South Africa stands in for other parts of the world. But, I mean, I lived in Cape Town for seven years, and, I mean, our, we, were, we had more Hollywood stars than Hollywood. You know, they were just in every cafe. So, you know, there's, there's all these... I, I mean, I, I guess the last one to mention actually would be Nigeria as well, just because it's, it's the, it's the moth of the entire continent. It's the heavyweight. And, and turning that place around, which seems to be happening... Um, will really be a, a game changer.
0: And finally, is there a class, a young class of political leadership emerging to take advantage of all of this, to lead all of this forward?
1: There, there, there are some. There very definitely are. There is a new generation, you know, there's very few of the old sort of dinosaurs left. Um, But actually, interestingly, I think the new leaders are much more in business. And that's a sort of reflection of the growing diversity and complexity of Africa. Um, it, 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 It isn't about who holds power on the throne anymore. You know, it's actually a much more diverse story about, you know, about a spread of power.
0: Alex Perry, his book is The Rift, A New Africa Breaks Free. We thank you so much for spending time with us here on Radio Who, What, Why.
1: Okay, thank you.
0: Thank you. And thank you for listening and joining us here on Radio Who, What, Why. I hope you'll join us next week for another Radio Who, What, Why podcast. I'm Jeff Scheckman. If you like this podcast, please feel free to share it and help other people find it by rating and reviewing it on iTunes. You can also support this podcast and all the work we do by going to whowhatwhy.org forward slash donate.